Good morning. Would you stand with me to honor the reading of God's word, please? This morning's scripture comes from Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, man, I turned that on early. Come on, let's go, church. Thanks be to God. If you were watching online, that, that kind of came in abruptly, uh, but, but you're, we're here for it. Uh, man, good morning, everyone. Thanks to you so much for joining us this wonderful Sunday morning in, in worship. Uh, before we, we kick off, I want to uh, highlight a few things. One, I want to give a shout out to uh, our, our graduates, our, our Texas State graduates, Skylar. I saw Skylar. Congratulations, Skylar. Kennedy and a Daisy, uh, man, shout out to you guys for making that commitment to, uh, man, that four-year journey. Sometimes it can feel more than four years. It's like compounding 10 years of stress into such a small journey, and you guys did it so well, serving the Lord, following him. And one of my favorite quotes from uh, Pastor Ben Stewart, he says, you know, sometimes we, we go to college to, to try to make a living, and then we forget why we're living. And, uh, and, and those years, those early 20s are so formative to, to figure out who we are in Christ. And you guys have done that so well, so well done. Let's give it up for them one more time. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Um, to switch gears a little bit, and it's going to seem a little bit abrupt, but hopefully you'll see that it's appropriate. I want to take a moment uh, to pray for those affected by this Buffalo shooting. Uh, yesterday afternoon, a white supremacist stormed a grocery store and committed a violent racial act, and uh, 10 people lost their lives. And uh, we know that that's not God's vision for a thriving humanity. And in that, we see the effects of sin go to such an extreme place that leads to favoritism and racism and anger and acts of violence. And the good news of the kingdom of God is that God will make everything right. And yet while we're in this middle place, we, we wait expectantly, we wait patiently, we, we grieve, we want God to come step in, and sometimes it feels like our attempts to pray can kind of seem like it, it, it's not doing much, but the scriptures let us know that when we pray and connect with God, it doesn't return void, and that from that place of prayer and connecting with God, we can, be, uh, we can herald the gospel and use the good news of the kingdom of God to bring about justice and create unity and harmony. And, uh, and, and, and I want to take a moment to pray for those affected. Maybe you've been personally grieved by this situation. I believe that God wants to come and, and bring comfort. Because how many of you know that he draws near to the afflicted, to the hurting, uh, to the broken? And I want to pray that God's kingdom would come and invade uh, Buffalo and would come and invade the hurting and the hateful. And that they would become lovers and ambassadors and peacemakers. And I want to pray that God would use us to bring the gospel to places 
uh, that, that feel broken and torn by sin to people that are broken and torn by sin so that we can be ministers of, of reconciliation. So will you join me in prayer? Let's pray together. Lord, we come in Jesus' name, and Lord, we know that your heart is grieved when things like this happen. And it seems like they can happen so frequently that the temptation of our heart can be, Lord, where are you? But Father, I praise you that, that your kingdom is here and your kingdom is coming and a kingdom is coming that will put an end to all the acts of violence and racism and hate and the extreme effects sin can have on the human heart. Lord, we pray uh, that you would come and bring comfort to those who've been personally affected. Lord, I pray that you would come and bring your comforting presence right now. Father, would you enable us to become peacemakers? Would you enable us to bring the gospel of love to those who are hurting? Would you help us, Lord, to advance your kingdom and to be your ministers of reconciliation? Lord, would you help us take a stand against evil because the days are evil by taking a stand for your gospel? Lord, come quickly. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, now to switch gears one more time, we're going to jump into the Word, all right? Uh, this is, this is the, the, my favorite time of, of, of this service, not because I get to preach the Word. That's a lot of fun, too, when, uh, when I feel like the Lord has put a Word in my heart, but just because the Word is so powerful. And, and one thing that God's been convicting me of lately is how powerful His Word is. Uh, we, we speak his word and demons tremble. We, we speak his word and things supernaturally begin to happen in our natural earthly life. And yet we can approach the word so lighthearted uh, because we have a thousand translations to choose from. You can read from any single device. It's so accessible that we forget how truly powerful it is. And so my heart in these next few moments is that you would see how powerful this word is. That simply by gazing upon it, whether you realize it or not, Faith is going to be stirred up in your heart, the kind of faith that moves mountains, the kind of faith that walks on water. And if you're here today and you need a boost of faith, I want to invite you to look at the word with me. So if you need a Bible, uh, we're going to have our our team right there in the back hand out Bible. So go ahead and shoot your hand up. I want everybody to to physically look at the word. If you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. You can take it home, write your name in it, uh, put a QR code in it that scans to your address. If you ever lose it, uh, this is is your thing, and we want you to own it and love it. Uh, So we're going to look at Galatians chapter 3, verse one through five. Galatians chapter three, verse one through five. And so uh, I'm going to read it one more time. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this rhetorical question. Number one, did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supply 
the Spirit to you and work miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. So if you've been journeying with us through this book of Galatians, uh, one thing that you've probably noticed if you've been reading this on your own or if you've just been uh, catching some details as we read this is that it seems like some of these ideas are being repeated over and over again. Like, like it seems like Paul is saying the same thing uh, just in a few different ways. And, and if you're picking up on that, it, it's because he is. Paul is building this very strategic and precise argument because there's a group of people who have infiltrated this region known as Galatia where, where Paul was in person proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Seeing people get saved and and radically delivered from their old way of life and entering into new life with Christ. And then all of a sudden, a few years later, a, a specific group called the Judaizers begin to sneak in and say something like this. Hey, I, I know you have Jesus and I know you're following him, but don't forget you're culturally Jewish. And to be Jewish means a few specific things. One, it means you have to uphold the Torah. Remember, that's our book. God gave us that book, the Torah, the, the, the first five books of the Old Testament. And there's laws in there and there's things that you must do. And so now all of a sudden, instead of just being identified with Jesus, a group of Judaizers are saying, it's not just Jesus. You also have to uphold these parts of your culture, specifically the practice of circumcision, which means you're committing yourself to the law of God and also these dietary practices, because that's what distinguishes us from the rest of the, uh, the people out there, the Gentiles, the way we eat and the way we conduct ourselves. And so instead of finding freedom in who Jesus is and what he has done, now they're saying, if you want to experience a greater degree of freedom, you have to do the law, the Old Testament book. And this group of early church believers, where they found themselves was they began to compromise their relationship with God because they bought into this idea that Jesus isn't enough. That that maybe Jesus isn't enough. Maybe I I need Jesus to to save me, but to sustain this walk, to sustain this relationship, I'm going to have to do a few extra things. I'm going to actually have to practice the book and, and uphold all 600 plus laws. I'm going to have to adopt these practices because what I'm doing right now, my belief in Jesus doesn't feel sufficient. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can't really blame them. You see, maybe our temptation isn't to uphold the Old Testament law, but at some point in our walk with Jesus, if you're walking with Jesus, we've all faced this. Where we've asked ourselves the question, is Jesus really enough? Is simply my faith and belief in him sufficient to save me and sufficient to sustain me? Or or do I have to do something else? Do I have to do the 365-day Bible reading plan and wake up at 5 a.m. and cast out devils with the charismatics at 6 p.m. and read with the reformed folks at 8 p.m.? It's just me. What does it mean to believe that that Jesus is sufficient? And and whether we care to admit it or not, we all experience this in in specific areas. Uh, We all feel like Jesus isn't sufficient when we audit our lives and it feels like maybe we're just not measuring up. Or maybe when it feels like there's never going to be breakthrough in my life, so maybe I have to take things into my own hands to a certain way to experience freedom. When we feel like things will never get better, when we feel like God is absent and not even working, this idea begins to creep in. Is Jesus really enough? And And then before we know it, our feelings begin to influence our beliefs. I feel like I'm not measuring up, 
No wonder God isn't blessing my life. I feel like I'll never have breakthrough. So what's the point of persevering? What's the point of going with Jesus? Might as well give in to my temptations. I feel like things will never get better. Maybe this God thing isn't real after all. Maybe it's not for me. Feelings influence beliefs. Beliefs influence action. And next thing you know, we begin to distance ourselves from God. We, we begin to distance ourselves from the people who care about us because we concluded maybe they don't care about us or maybe I don't need them because this Jesus thing isn't working out. And then in the pursuit to feel whole and complete, to feel free, it feels like we're more enslaved and more disconnected than ever before. And I believe this experience, in one way or another, stems from the failure to correctly answer two questions. And that is, how does one become more Christ-like? And two, what does progress actually look like in the Christian life? How does one become more Christ-like? And what does progress look like in the Christian life? And depending on how you answer this question, will either produce a life of endless misguided attempts to make progress with Jesus, or it will produce a soul that is so anchored in Christ, so deeply rooted in Jesus that you bear fruit in every area of your life. How how does one become more Christ-like? And what does progress look like in the Christian life? To unpack this idea, we have two points. Number one, through flesh. And number two, through faith. Through flesh and through faith. Let's begin with Galatians 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, now why is Paul saying this? And why is he being so aggressive? Well, as we mentioned earlier... Paul is heartbroken because he is seeing a community of faith that started so strong in Christ uh, become divided by these false teachings because they began to adopt a system of faith that is being promoted by false teachers. And, and, And what Paul is saying is that this system of faith, this way of believing isn't increasing your quality of life, isn't making you more free, it's further enslaving you enslaving them to the Old Testament dietary laws, enslaving them to these practices that Jesus has died to free them from. And this frustrated Paul because Paul firsthand knew the the freedom and the grace that came with belief in Christ. Paul was a man who knew uh, that eager desire to fulfill the law and to uphold the law only to come up empty, to find that Christ had fulfilled the law for him and offered him new life and new relationship, something that he couldn't earn for himself, the good news of the kingdom of God. He presents it to a group of people who are radically transformed and radically saved, and now they've reverted back to their old ways. Now they're trying to add something to their faith because it seems like the freedom they're experiencing isn't sufficient, isn't good enough. Six years ago, I was in the apartment of a friend uh, with another ministry friend and and, uh, this mutual friend we were ministering to because he packed up his whole one-bedroom apartment and fitted it into his hatchback because he was getting ready to leave to go be a part of this community of faith that promised him, if you do things our way, you'll experience freedom. 
Now, this community of faith is not worth receiving any recognition. It's a cult by all standards that adopted false teachings that are uh, completely opposite to the scriptures. But my friend wanted to so eagerly uh, uh, experience freedom. He wanted to know that God was pleased with him. He eagerly desired to, to walk in wholeness because when he looked at his life and he looked at the life that God called him to live, he saw this great gap and he did not know how to close it for himself because he was new in the faith. And so heartbroken, he said, maybe this community out here in the far outskirts of Texas will do it for me. Because they told me, if you believe like me and if you do what we do and you come live with us and forsake your family and break off contact, then you'll experience freedom. And he began to believe it. So much so that he packed up his entire apartment and was moments away from starting the car and leaving. And by God's grace, my my friend and I were able to speak into him and and communicate the scriptures in a life-giving way and show him that his assurance and his value and his worth is not found in his performance. It's found in in who Jesus is and what he's done for him. And, and, And by God's grace, it was purely God's grace, the Lord got a hold of him and he stayed. And six years later, this guy is a wildfire for the Lord. So secure, so anchored, so deeply rooted in the Lord. I mean, me and him used to go every Friday night to the square to pray for people, evangelize and share the good news of of the kingdom of God. There was this radical transition. There was this radical turning point. And and though this is the extreme case of a desire to become more Christ-like, but if we're honest with ourselves, we've all felt this way in one way or another, maybe to not this extreme, but we've all measured our lives and found that where we are and where God has called us to be seems like this uh, insurmountable mountain. What am I going to do? Because it seems like Jesus isn't sufficient for me right now. I have to take matters into my own hand and begin to scale this mountain on my own. When we take a long, hard look, we we see that this is a normal temptation. And if there isn't an eager desire to become more like Jesus, then I believe there's just this passive waiting. Uh, that is more characterized by apathy than anything else. It's a pursuit of Jesus that says something like this. I'm in an okay spot. I don't need much from God right now. It says something like, I've got a handle on life. If God wants to work and do something in the background, I'm totally here for it, but I'm not really paying attention to it and I'm not looking out for it. It says something like, I'm just so tired and overwhelmed that I don't want to think what I should be doing or how I should be pursuing God. And whether there's this eager desire to become Christ-like at whatever extreme possible or this passive desire to become more Christ-like in the background, just hoping it happens, they both share the same common denominator, church. You are trusting in yourself to become more Christ-like. You're trusting in your performance. You're trusting in your effort. You're trusting in your ability. And those, these things aren't wrong. They are not the starting point. These things describe an alternative experience for becoming Christ-like, and that is through the flesh. 
And this is the experience that the Galatians were embarking on. They were asking themselves, how do I become more Christ-like? How do I experience more freedom? How do I enter into the family of God? How do I become favored by God and accepted by him? Well, let's practice circumcision because in the Old Testament, that's what you did to enter into covenant with God. Let's practice these strict laws that distinguish the Jewish culture from all other cultures because in the Old Covenant, that's what you did to show that you were uh, dedicated and in covenant with God. Do these things to your physical body so you can be spiritually accepted and paul comes in and asks this did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith now, why is he asking about the Spirit? Here's why. When we look at Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, it says this. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Now, this is important because the, the Spirit, Paul is, is saying in this passage, is a seal. And a seal in the ancient world was this mark of ownership. Uh, All possessions that were significant and valuable to a person were marked, impressed with a seal that signified ownership. This cow, this is mine. This, 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 this land is mine. This possession is mine. And in Paul's case, where he lives in Ephesus, it's the uh, dark magic uh, capital of the world. People would come from all over the known region to bow down to their idol of choice and worship their false god in whatever temple. And some of these adherents were, were so committed to their idol that they would brand themselves with an image of that idol to say, I belong to that god. I belong to this god. And what Paul is saying here is that we're in this new covenant era, the era that we're living in now, and the one true God has marked all of his people as his possession, as belonging to him by means of a seal. And what is this seal? The promised Holy Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is a firm indication that that person belongs to God. Now, why is this good news? The reason why this is good news is because when God looks to you, church, he's not looking at your performance. He's not looking at your best efforts. He's not looking at the suffering that is being afflicted upon you because of you choosing sin over him. He's looking at his spirit inside of you and saying, that person is mine. Regardless of the condition they are in, regardless of how perfect they appear to the outside world, regardless of how beat up they are, that seal means that person is mine. And the Holy Spirit inside of you testifies to you belonging to God. And what Paul's trying to communicate here is that you didn't receive this this firm stamp of approval and acceptance from God through your works. You received it through faith when you connected your faith to the message of the gospel and God poured out his spirit inside of you. But it gets better. It always does. Paul says that the spirit is also a deposit. And, and the idea here in this passage is, is, is the idea of a down payment. That's the one we're most familiar with in our context. You put a large amount of money down to lock in the purchase of an item, like a, like a house, a piece of land, or, or a specific service that, that guarantees you future ownership and possession of whatever you put the deposit down. The Spirit is also a deposit on the future inheritance of believers. 
What this means is that God has marked us and sealed us and set us apart. And it also means that, that it is the promise that we are going to be in glory with God, that he's going to protect us and sustain us and keep us. What Paul is saying here is that God so values his people that he has put down a deposit, his spirit, and he's going to complete the transaction. What this means is that I belong to God right now because he sealed me with the spirit. And despite what lies ahead of me, blessings or misfortunes, success or failure, breakthrough or struggling faithfulness, I will still belong to God in the future. This is the good news of the kingdom of God is that I belong to God right now and he's given us this assurance that I will belong to him in the future to all those who are in faith in Christ. And so when you look at your performance and you audit your life and it seems like you're not measuring up and the level of breakthrough isn't there and you're not experiencing freedom the way you thought you would, the spirit of God inside of you guarantees you that you belong to God. And the spirit of God inside of you guarantees you that he will sustain you and keep you and bring you into glory. That's why when we come into Christ, we get to experience this beautiful doctrine of assurance. That I belong to him and he belongs to me. And you don't look at your resume or your works or your performance because none of that earned it. It was simply through faith. Sealed. Deposit. The hope of experience fullness and glory. And so Paul goes on to say, let me ask you only this. Did, did you receive? Did you receive the spirit by, by works of the law, by, by works of the flesh, or by, by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Have you begun by the spirit? You are now being perfected by the flesh. What Paul is reminding them is that God has bestowed his spirit on believers after they heard the gospel and put their faith in its message. And this is the good news of the kingdom of God, that the spirit, the marker of belonging to God is made available to all those who hear and believe. So how does one become more Christ-like? Not through works of the flesh, but through faith and spirit-empowered effort. How does one become more Christ-like? Through faith and spirit-empowered effort. That's why Paul says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit are now being perfected by the flesh. What Paul is saying is that when you believe the gospel, you abandon the pursuit of trusting yourself to make yourself complete, whole, and acceptable before God. That to believe in Christ means that you enact this revolution to overthrow the idols in your heart, to overthrow the works of the flesh, to overthrow your self-righteous pursuits, to, to make yourself validated and accepted by God, and you put Christ on the throne. How do you do this? How do you experience this? Through faith. Does he who supply the spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? You see, this last rhetorical question really drives, sums up the point that Paul is driving home. The spirit of God is at work, not because of our ability to observe the law, not because of our ability to be moral and show up to church every Sunday and have a good Bible reading plan and do the right religious activities. No, rather the spirit is at work because they heard the message of the gospel and received it with faith. 
This is why rehearsing the good news of the kingdom of God is so important. Because believing and receiving stirs up our faith because we're reminding ourselves of the spirit that's already at work in us. Church, are you low with faith? Do you, you feel like Jesus is not sufficient? May I encourage you? Did you receive God? Did God transform you? Did God change you because you had something to do with it? Or did he transform you and change you because you received his grace and grace took over and began to rewrite a story that you couldn't write for yourself, Remember that. Reflect on that. And as we begin to do so, this supernatural transaction takes place. That faith begins to arise in our heart. When you believe upon Jesus, this is what happens. The Holy Spirit enters through belief in Christ. In other words, faith is the road that the Holy Spirit takes to enter into your heart. Faith is the road that the Holy Spirit takes to enter into your heart. And why does this matter? Because we can be so consumed with our human effort to become the best earthly versions of ourselves. When God wants so much more for us, he's made available for us the riches of heaven and eternal life with him so that we can live on earth as it is in heaven. And when we talk about the gospel being good news, this is the aspect of the good news, that the pathway that God wants to connect with you is not through your performance. It's not through your best days. It's not through the best earthly version of yourself. You can connect to God and God connects to you through faith. This means that as long as there is faith in Christ and an eager desire to live out this faith through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, this connection is not broken or dependent upon suffering or crisis or or church hurts or relational breakdowns or addiction or stress or fear or tragedy or shattered dreams or unmet expectations. This means that my connection to God is dependent upon my faith and not my circumstances. That the good news of the kingdom of God is that the worst things that can happen to me can either reinforce my faith because I allow God to mold me and grow me through them, but they can never disrupt my connection. You can give, you can take away uh, pain and suffering, high victory and joy. My faith is not dictated by my circumstances. Rather, faith transcends all of those things. And I believe that that's the type of faith that God wants to mold in us. I believe that that's the type of people that God wants to create in us. That when the outside world looks in on us and they see a people that has been afflicted and hard-pressed and marked by tragedy, not because of who God is, but simply because the effects of sin are real, they would see in us a joy and a life and a perseverance that's not dictated by our circumstances. Rather, we have remained steadfast connected to God because we connect to him through our faith, not through our circumstances, not through our our best efforts, not through our good days. And, And I know, I know, I know how easy it is to connect with God when things are going so well. I I know, I look forward to those days. If I'm honest, it feels like those are the days that I usually do connect with God. Like, hey, today's a good day, might as well connect with God. But when it feels like like the stress of uh, of parenting and, and all the work-related stress and, and the issues out there get inside here and begin to influence me, it seems like I began to let what's happening out there dictate how I connect with God up here. And the good news of the kingdom of God is that regardless of what's happening out there or what's happening in here, I connect to God through faith. 
Not through my circumstances, not through my blessings, but through faith. My connection to God, our connection to God is dependent upon faith. A faith that rests in and embraces Jesus. So if I could leave you with one takeaway, it's this. The Christian life continues the way it begins. The Christian life, life with Jesus, continues the way it begins. And how does the Christian life begin? Through faith and repentance. Jesus, in other words, not only saves you, Jesus sustains you. And where the Galatians found themselves is that they had begun in faith and that they had begun with Jesus, but they felt like they had graduated from faith in Jesus and began to adopt other practices that they thought would sustain them and, and, and gain them closer to Jesus. But what the scriptures teach us over and over again is that the everyday endless rhythm until you die is faith and repentance. Faith and repentance is not this one step that you take to enter into relationship with God and then you move on with your life. Faith and repentance is the everyday normal rhythm that we practice until we're in glory with Jesus. Because every single day there's going to be something that we want to place our faith in that isn't Jesus that introduces an opportunity to repent and place our faith in him. Every single day, there's going to come up an area of our life that needs to be submitted to the Lordship of Christ, that we bow down before him and lay at his feet, and then we turn to God in repentance and receive grace. This is in the Christian life, breathing. Faith and repentance is breathing. Now, I don't know about you, but you need to breathe, uh, I remember in, 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 when I was much younger, I used to try to practice holding my breath because that's what the magicians did on TV when they were in a water tank. And for some reason, I thought that I would find myself in that circumstance. Still haven't. Uh, but breathing is important. You can only go so long without breathing. And in the Christian life, you can only go so long without faith and repentance. It is absolutely crucial. It is absolutely necessary uh, for the believer of Jesus. Why? Because faith connects us to God. And repentance is the sweet gift that allows us to turn from whatever we are consuming ourselves with and find all of the grace, all of the mercy, all of the value, identity, purpose, power, and strength that we could ever need in Christ Jesus. You see, the way of progress, the way of becoming more Christ-like is to practice the never-ending rhythm of faith and repentance. In other words, moment by moment, trust in the Lord. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 3, 14 through 17, for this reason, I bow down to my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That this strength and this power that we need from the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts, not through our moral performance, not through our victories, not through our downfalls, but simply by connecting our faith to Jesus. And Paul was so moved by this idea, so radically transformed that uh, commenting on this in, in a different passage would say this in Romans eight twenty four through 39. For in this hope we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes in for what they see. 
But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Do you feel weak? Do you feel fragile? God's Spirit is made available to you to give you strength. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, to to become more Christ-like. In order that he might be the firstborn among brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those whom he justified, what these Galatians are so eager for, to be accepted, to be approved, to be validated, uh, to, to be uh, brought into the family of God. He, he is justified through faith. And he's also glorified. He's, he's transforming. He's setting free. He's bringing us to glory. He is the seal that has uh, set us apart as belonging to God, but he's also the deposit promising a future glory that we will be raised up to him and experience life with him in eternity. And Paul, so captivated by this, says this, what shall we say to these things? What shall we say to the death and the destruction and the acts of chaos that's uh, consuming us? What should we say to the broken marriages and to the pain that's overcoming us? What should we say to the quality of life that feels like it's taking us apart limb by limb and destroying us? What shall we say to the things that seem like are hindering our progress, to the lies that make us feel like we're not good enough? This is what we shall say. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also uh, with him graciously give us all things? How do you receive all things? Through faith, through connecting to God and letting his spirit come at work in you and begin to transform you from one degree of glory to another. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trial or tribulation or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sorrow? Absolutely not, because those things don't dictate my connection to God. As it is written, uh, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, hear me, church, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and showed us the depths of his love at the cross in Christ Jesus and rose again from the dead uh, and depositing resurrection power inside of us. So when things seem like they're bringing death, at work in you through faith is a power that resurrects. I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How does one become more Christ-like? What does progress look like in the Christian life? Moment by moment, trust in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, practicing the never-ending rhythm 
rhythm of faith and repentance as we connect and turn to God every single day, every single moment of our life. If this sounds simple, it's because it is. And if it sounds too good to be true, well, that's what makes grace so scandalous. Is that God has made available for us connection and relationship through faith. And it's one of those things where um, I, I, I wish I could systematically kind of break it down even more, you know, for my practical people. Like, here's how you do it. Here's what you need to do. But when you think about God transforming you, when you think about that moment when you knew that grace took over and the Spirit came into your heart, there was no formula to it. It was simply God's grace coming in and changing everything. And I believe that the way we experience this and the way we we live this out is by posturing ourselves in this position of just being needy disciples of God's grace. Positioning ourselves with humble and open hearts and saying, Lord, will you take over all over again? Lord, will you become my Lord and Savior all over again? And connecting and rehearsing who Jesus is and what he's done and how he's moved in our life and letting the testimony of his faithfulness begin to stir up more faith in us. And then letting his spirit come at work, transforming us from one degree of glory to another. As we close in prayer, I want to take a moment to practice that. With every eye closed and head bowed or however you need to get before the Lord, I 